Hey, Justin, did you ever go to McDonald's as a kid? Oh, yeah. Did you ever go to in 1996? You're like, I've eaten at McDonald's my entire fucking life. Those were were dumb preamble questions because I know you ate there in 96 because I did too. Oh, yeah. Is that the Batman mug or is that the Spider-Man toys that are awesome? I bought this three bundle of McDonald's Beast Wars toys from eBay for 10 bucks. Oh, fuck yeah. Is that Batman in like a... No, it's a bear, a manta ray. Those are awesome. Oh, it's a manta ray. Okay. Yeah, what's the market for old Happy Meal things? Because I that was, was ten bucks for the three of them, dude. Yeah, the Spider Man standing there, kind of like this, or the Hobgoblin in his car with the yeah. Like, yeah, the one like spider car that looked like a jeep but yeah. it had legs and it would go like blah, 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 blah. yeah, yeah, so fucking good. No, I'm those are like cool, legitimately cool toys. Episode 31, like an ancient spirit from the forest brought forward to feel the youth of society around it, even knowing that inside itself, it is an old tree spirit, kind of like Roman, the 50-year-old who is eternally 36. We are Batman in Quarantine, here for Batman and Robin issue number five. Sorry, that intro got away from me. I realized when I said old forest spirit i had nowhere to go from there so um, <laughs> i loved it and you you got the classic like roman child chime like the yeah, thing that he does yeah Django. moby i just was reminded um of, of the intro because we had recorded two weeks of the podcast before i started putting it live and i realized in the very first episode that justin and i did which was episode number one, I was like, yeah, the goal is to have them be like 15 minutes at a time. (laughs) And even just after finishing that first episode, I was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to keep it to 15 minutes because I alone could go for 30 or 35, then bring other wonderful people on board. And so I've made that as the intro to episode one. It's like, yeah, it's just going to be like 15 minutes. And then if you look at the episodes, they're all like 30 (laughs) to 50 minutes long. I'm sorry. When I I listen, I remember the night I listened to the first episode of this, um, I was doing dishes and I, and I remembered you saying, or, or for the intro, or whatever, the 15 minute thing. And after like a 20 minutes, I was like, how long are we going to pull that off? <laughs> did he? <laughs> but we probably should reel this into Batman and Robin number five, revenge of the red hood, part two, Scarlet Morrison. Scar- I always thought that was pronounced Scarlet. Scarlet. <laughs> you know, it's interesting as my totally novice comic reader at the time, which everyone is at some point, own it, love it. It's great. But as I was reading this, this was, you know, probably like this is sort of still relatively early in me reading comics as an adult. Like the beginning of the Morrison run was, you know, really the beginning of that. But here I'm probably a year into it. But at this point I had read Brian Bendis and Alex Maleev's Scarlet. And I was like, is this a reference to that? Which, like, looking back, and I'm like, no, it's fucking obviously not a reference to, like, a creator-owned Bendis Marvel book. Why would Morrison do that? But anyway, the funny, funny the things that you think when you're young. Maybe it's just a reference. Maybe it's a weird, oblique reference to the color. Jack, well, yeah, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> oh. you know, Scarlet, the blood everywhere. Maybe, I, don't, I don't know. 
it's amazing how often things come back to like ancient murderers with you. Yeah, <laughs> especially with your hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm you excited. Got your knife and hat on. That's He's why I'm his... excited for the next um, um, world's best trivia because the uh, theme is cults. It is actually. Side note: Aaron and Justin should get in on that because Aaron's a cult head, right? Uh, no, she's just like a murder head, and okay, we overlap because right. I can kind of, yeah, I can kind of get behind a cult thing. She actually is more freaked out of cults than like you know people like eating other people's organs. <laughs> well, it's you. So this one, you know, the the issue begins by the narration by Scarlet or Sasha, as we learn her name is. I don't know if we already knew her name or not. And it sort of just follows the main encounter that Damien and Dick have with Red Hood and Scarlet at the beginning there. We get a good shot of them going back to the Bat Bunker and seeing Alfred, who's looking adorable with his sort of spit curl hair in the way that Roman also sort of does. Mm-hmm. We are pushed Red Hood's agenda uh, forward a little bit about trying to create sort of a, a branded crime-fighting force that's going to replace batman and he kind of goes into the idea of branding here which i think is interesting but is i think a, a thing that is definitely on morrison's mind in general and then we meet some some surrounding circumstantial stuff around pink flamingo or just flamingo you go to roman's uh, apartment yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm talking about oh yeah sure welcome do. welcome don't go in that corner <laughs> and uh then we get another fight between red hood and uh batman and the crew so this is this issue here is i think while the other one brought a lot of stuff to the table i think this one really is more of a character piece that shows I think some of these characters playing off of each other, we get, we learn a little bit more about Jason Todd, some of the stuff that's happened with him lately, Sasha. Yeah, some cool, predominantly a character work issue, but let's go back to the beginning. Come with me, my friends, in my dusty comic shop cave of podcasting. Sasha, she's mean because life has been mean to her. the monologuing was interesting just sort of showing that like we get actual clarification that she killed her father here i think in the issue issue number two or three of batman and robin where that happened it could have maybe just looked like she was killing another dollatron but we really get a narration that opens and closes this issue and it shows her killing her father talking about being kind of like a daddy's girl not having a strong relationship with her mom I think it's interesting that this issue was narrated by Scarlet because that's a character that really only exists in this three-issue arc for the most part. And I would think that given the importance of that character and Damien's development, I could have seen her come back at some point in the last, like, seven years. I really felt like he was seeding her to be an ongoing character. Yeah. And maybe with his intentions once he gets to kind of Batman Inc and how coherent and linear that story is, like it's very much about one thing, Leviathan, you know, maybe he lost the threads along, along the way, or maybe she's just such a fucked up weird character that no other writer wanted to pick up. Like, how do I incorporate this like mutilated face ninja girl? I think she's an awesome character. Yeah. So too. Yeah, I agree. And and is it, yeah. And kind of to that point, Justin, isn't um, professor pig like the only Morrison created character from his issues that it's still around. Yeah, I think so. Like yeah, we don't I think see Flamingo. I think Flamingo was like in a background, beaten up early in the Snyder Capullo run, like in that cover oh. where he's like beating up all the bad guys. Like there's one shot of him just like beaten up somewhere, but like we really haven't. That's and really Dr. interesting. Hurt 
showed up in the Nightwing run and they tried to kind of position him as going after Nightwing. And Interesting. When was that? Was that in New 52? Uh, no, it was in Rebirth. It was when oh. um, there's like a three-issue arc in Rebirth during the, the Nightwing run that is very derivative of this. It's like a love letter, I, I think, to this run. Like you see Dr. Hurt. Um, Interesting. There, I think there's some Bat Colt stuff. Um, Damien is teamed up with Nightwing Dick Grayson again. Um, you know, there's some stuff with like the whole book and yeah, there's like references to, to this run. Um, and essentially Dr. Hurt just, they kind of do what they do with Batman villains when they make them Nightwing villains. They just kind of show that they're a hack. Like when they're eventually like, well, Ra's al Ghul, we'll have him fight Nightwing and Nightwing like whoops his ass. And it's like, okay, well then. Shit, maybe what? we need to make Nightwing his own villains. Right. right. Second-rate Bat villains. I, I feel like there's not quite as much to really get into in the teeth of this issue. There are some the stuff that I really, really like within it. What I re- really remember particularly liking in this issue is just the banter between Dick and Jason. I think that it's really fantastic. There's a really brotherly, like, rivalry thing, too. Like, right. Dick Grayson's like, don't make me in- humiliate you in front of your new girlfriend and you know, he's kind of like, don't make me show you that I'm the, still the bigger, uh, better of the two. Because in that battle for the cow issue with that glorious kick with Nightwing's butt and thighs that he kicks Jason Todd off at the end. you know, There's going to be a from... special edition podcast we do or something. We have to talk about just that one issue of Battle of the Cow that Justin is. Just that kick. <laughs> <laughs> I always have a sound effect in my head where it's like a, you know, a two minute long. Butt thigh. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Jason's still, pride is still wounded and Dick's all cocky about it. He's like, I know I can whoop you, Jason. He but, does a fairly good job of it here. Yeah, he does. And I, but I also just think it is such like a, a rife bit of interpersonal stuff to explore. Like mm-hmm. the, the pseudo father of both of these people has been taken and they're both trying to fill the role that this person had. And they both have very different ideas about how to go about it. It's just a really, there's a lot of interesting conversation to be had there. And, and I could have used even more of it, frankly, but I think they did a, a good amount of it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing where like Dick is trying to honor Bruce and is worried about stepping into the role and how to make it his. And Jason's on the other end where he's like, no, Bruce didn't do it enough. I'm the next generation, like the next predator to come in, the apex predator. It's a, it kind of exposes a lot about their character that you know there's an inherent arrogance to jason todd where he thinks he can improve upon something where dick has like a reverence and he's worried like how do i honor it and even you just identifying that line of like dick saying to jason don't make me humiliate you in front of your new girlfriend and the way that jason responds she's not my and then he and then dick says backstory not interested but that is such a big brother thing to do like let me demean your entire pursuit of what you're doing by just saying your new girlfriend and then but him still like jason still playing into that role of little brother by even needing to defend it she's not my and he's just like i don't fucking care but like that's such a big brother little brother dynamic that is a really thing interesting thing to explore in this space we've created without batman right and it's pretty like sorry for this but it's dickish for dick like i normally i wouldn't see him i mean not that he's like a saint and is incapable of being like yeah, I mean, he literally beats people up every single night. But you don't ever see, you don't usually see, see Dick Grayson like purposely insult somebody or character assassinate anybody. That's just not his style. 
you know, he'll be like quippy, but he's never like rude. I, I like, I don't think he's got like a, a violence or a meanness to him, but that's like kind of reductive and mean to say that. I yeah. mean, I guess Jason's like murdering people too, but yeah, that's just like, it's weird that in this big brother, little brother dynamic that Dick Grayson is a little more jerky mm-hmm. um, than you would expect to see. It's also, it's kind of, it just occurred to me that um, what we see uh, between the red hood and Sasha it's such a different dynamic because that's not like a brother sisterly thing. He's he's kind of like a jerk dad to her. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's like, some kind of almost gross, like manipulative grooming yeah. stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah. That that surprised me. I didn't remember that. I really liked the bit that is. I mean, like, so Dick and Damien, you know, have a disagreement with Jason and Sasha, but they ultimately disappear, and Dick and Damien take care of someone who was murdered in this situation they do find another domino in a strangely drawn panel where damien's face just looks kind of like a weird bean but (laughs) they do find the subsequent like the next 11 10 domino uh so that is that's interesting yeah where is that panel i apologize that is probably page nine or ten on the right side it's uh right before this the sequence where they're in the the bunker with alfred okay it's bean robin yeah Yeah, little baby bean face like a llama bean (laughs) and then we you know we get some uh some cobble pot there nice drawing of cobble pot it is again i think philip tan's real strength has been his drawings of uh penguin cobbler his roman is yeah (laughs) though apparently he's uh this cobble pot is like three and a half, four feet tall. <laughs> yeah. And he's got like this weird, you know, what Penguin is has always kind of been up to interpretation. Like, is he just a, an ugly guy? Does he have some kind of strange defect or skin condition? Or does he have some kind of like, sometimes he's like this weird quasi animal human. Yeah. And that's like, the human genome doesn't do this. Like he, he, he is, you know, 10% bird or 20% bird like that, that human noses and anatomy doesn't work quite like that. There's must've been some like genetic modification in this penguin. Cause he, <laughs> he's for, up. for anyone who is possibly looking for it. There is a fantastic six issue miniseries from 2012 called penguin pain and prejudice that was written by Greg Hurwitz with Jason Aaron art, or sorry, Jason Aaron also co-writing it. And it is my favorite Penguin story I've ever read. It was like a six issue thing from 2012 that most mostly got glossed over, but it is very good if anyone actually is looking for a good Penguin story, Pain and Prejudice. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, I was thinking about that during our last episode that yeah, that's the best Penguin thing I've ever read. Yeah, it's, you know, it is phenomenal. See so many like just random character centric mini series that are like, Oh, this is six to eight issues about Riddler or about Scarecrow or about yeah. Condiment Man. Um, yeah, I totally agree. It seems like it's kind of similarly tracked in like the movie industry now where it's like, we're only going to make a movie if we know that it's going to make us a billion dollars. So they right. don't like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a shame. Yeah. Because, yeah, that, that story is good. And it could only kind of come out of an era where they were just willing to put a writer on a book that is ultimately inconsequential beyond just being good within itself. You know, it's like if it can't tie into another thing or if it's not incorporating the Watchmen or some right. giant cosmic other property, you know. Yeah. If you're not, yeah, 
they, they kind of put too much emphasis on reinventing the wheel, it seems like. Yeah, it's just almost too efficient. You know, it's so, so money-based. And so, like, taking um, – just making kind of lifelong customers out of everyone. And it's also, like, comics – are a medium where it is not incredibly expensive to just let somebody write a random six issue thing. Like that's one of the great things about comics is you can make a pretty high art piece and not have to spend the millions of dollars that it takes to make a movie. But anyway, we've di- I could go on and on about the current flaws in the comic industry, which is a beautiful industry, but instead I think we should hang out at the, uh, the top of the Gotham tower with uh, Damien and Dick as they show back home and surprise Alfred who uh, gets snuck up on on Batman because he's wearing soundless silicon boot soles. Alfie, sorry. Mm-hmm. But I in this scene, Batman call him Alfie. I do too. I do too. In this scene, we do get uh, o- Alfred overhearing the television conversation of somebody interviewing Oberyn Sexton. Now we've got him two issues in a row, and that is again we've said one of our favorite parts of this run. I love that they. It's issue after issue you know like i remember just being like all right well are we getting more answers to the oberon uh, mystery as the series goes on so i like he was introduced in the previous issue and we get a little bit more right here right at first you're like why are we spending time introducing this character that doesn't show up and then in right. the very next issue he's just barely there but you know it's enough to wet our whistle yeah yeah i like the fact he's kind of defending batman and robin yeah but he seems to like batman and robin more he or less. does yeah I, I think that the moral the moral compass of Oberyn is a really interesting thing throughout all of this. Um, and yeah, in here, you know, he's, he's getting, he, he's saying, so there's the shot in the previous issue or as, as they're defending Penguin. Ultimately, Batman's trying to protect Penguin from the Red Hood as Batman would do. He doesn't believe that murder is the right thing to do. So he wants to put someone in prison and, and whatnot. And uh, the guy says like, what about these pictures? He seems to be protecting these criminals. Um, he says, yeah, but from, he's protecting these two killers it's red hood is and yeah he says the red hood is a name used by more than one notorious gotham criminal in the past interesting line for oberon to be saying is this any different yeah i don't know the the moral ambiguity of that character is a really interesting thing we don't really know where that guy is or girl is is coming from or going to right i really like that that uh that interview ends with a with a a phoning poll (laughs) asking viewers to should the punish, should the punishment fit the crime since you know jason todd's fate was decided by a phone in poll oh my right. god i didn't think about that that rules way to yeah, go I thought that was great i was just like okay cool like it's a dip, you know like jason is trying to push this agenda forward of should you know the batman be punishing criminals in a way that fits the crime or not should he you know trust justice which batman always trusts justice but also Jason Todd was murdered by a phone in poll that happened in the eighties and you could pay to call in and cast a vote. That's hilarious. Roman, I didn't connect that at all. That's a really cool connection. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it like, it's cool that it's kind of meta cause that's a thing outside the comics, but like Grant Morrison has now put it into Jason Todd's pathology. Like he needs to kind <laughs> of like get people to vote and like, you know, get an external decision of fate. Like, I don't know. I think that that's cool that Jason Todd would use that tactic um you know just like sometimes he uses the crowbar that killed him right mm. oh yeah yeah right above that i was just gonna ask you guys um uh damien is what is he do- is that what is he doing with on his face he's got like a white object i can't tell if it's a butter knife or it looks like a butter knife yeah 
I it is a weird butter knife. Is, yeah, the only thing I could think of is he is he he just took off his mask in the last panel we saw him. Is he like he buttering his face? Well, to is get that it off? some kind of thing you do to like scrape off the the spirit gum from your mask? Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I don't know what he's doing. Philip Tan could you know maybe ex- draw these slightly differently, or maybe it was something in Grant's script, but. Yeah, it looks like yeah. he's rubbing butter on his face. Did he get hit in there? I don't know. I have, no, well, yeah, there's dirty dishes here. Guys. Yeah, I think he just wants his eyebrows to look like pristine all the time, so he butters them. Guys, while we were talking about that, I crunched the numbers. Uh, I was curious if 57% to 43%, as this issue shows, was the same percentage difference of people who wanted Jason Todd to die and not die. So I found the number of calls that <laughs> happened originally whenever this phone call to kill yeah. Jason Todd happened. 86, 87? Yeah, 88 actually. Is what I've oh. just seen right here. But interestingly, the difference of votes was 72 votes. 5,343 people were tallied to kill Jason. 5,271 tallied to call him which means that just over 50% wanted him dead. Barely 50%. Wow. 50.34%. Um, wow. <laughs> so it is not the same number shown here of 43% to 70, uh, 57%. But I got really excited at the idea of like, oh my God, did Grant incorporate those same numbers? Because Roman, you're right. That was I'm cool. glad it's that close. I'd be afraid yeah. if it was like 60%. Kill the child! Kill right. the little child! Yeah, they're that, like, that oh, it's awesome. a... Should we kill Batman? Well, I'm bored. Yeah, kill Batman. And it's like, fuck, how do we honor that? You know, like yeah. people just want to watch the city burn, like Alfred always says. Yeah. I have to admit, mm-hmm. back, back in those days, and I, and I couldn't call because, you know, it would have gone on my parents' phone bill and my dad would have, would have been mad. Um, but I wanted to kill him. Yeah, of course. I would, I, yeah. would, I would vote the same thing unless it was Dick or damien or tim oh yeah but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> any of the other any of the other robins no, no yeah yeah any other robins save them in fact i would be i would be down to maybe even vote to kill damien now just to see what they would do although i love the kid <laughs> love the scamp though i do we take uh we follow gordon to the hospital in this scene who is who is this person that's been beaten up here G- gordon is talking to somebody who's almost dead and their face has been he's the yeah, survivor yeah Survivor of the the club of baddies that we're talking to hate mongering. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he's the guy that got the picture to the face. I think. Um, oh, yeah, okay. that's you're totally right. Oh. What I really liked about that sequence, particularly, was just the dude's mauled ass face and his stilted like it's not in vernacular. It's just written as words that don't make sense. But if you sound them out, like as you're saying them out loud, you can kind of sense this like oh holy shit, the flamingo is coming and he's going to fuck everybody up. Yeah. Yeah. A pla- a airplane on an airplane from hell. Which makes the whole the whole thing even more like terrifying. He's got this mauled face talking about the flamingo coming from hell. He's oh. a bad, 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 bad boy. Okay. I think the most interesting thing in this issue, in my mind, is the following page which has a conversation between Scarlett and Jason where Jason is talking about having orange hair with the white dyed part that he said had been gray ever since he had been come, come out of the Lazarus pit after being dead. And he also says that his hair is orange, but he used to dye it black because Batman wanted him to dye his hair back black to, to match Dick Grayson. Can you two more 
studied Batman historians and myself talk about at least the hair thing up for up front. In the original first appearance of Jason Todd, he was a redhead. And then they changed the way editorial changed the way he looked. So he would look more like Dick Grayson. So he would look more just like standard Robin. So people could resonate with him. And yeah, probably to reduce confusion and stuff for people. Right. And so, but when he, I think there's his appearance when he's robbing the car. Hmm? And I can't remember if that's the issue he has red hair or he actually showed up as a redheaded kid before that. And then they changed, they put that issue out where he has black hair. But actually there's an issue where Jason Todd appears and he's a redheaded kid. Because I remember being really upset about this because I thought it would be kind of gross and weird where Batman was like, no, you have to look the same. Right. Um, even if it's just like we want people to think you're the same Robin or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is some issue out there where Jason Todd originally appeared as a redhead. So that's, that, I really, yeah, I think that is weird. I like how weird it kind of makes me feel about Batman. Of like, why did you want this kid to dye his hair black? I think it's like, it feels like, and I could be wrong, but it feels like Morrison writing into the story what editorial essentially did right. as a way of making yeah. that which is yeah so interesting and speaks to just sort of batman's weird insanities really wow see it it totally makes sense to me because you don't want people to guess that of course they're going to guess anyway because all of a sudden the new robin is shorter and maybe younger than the previous robin but i thought it made sense because it's like well yeah you don't want to give any clues to his actual identity because all of a sudden bruce wayne's appearing with this redheaded kid at his new war sure. batman's got a redheaded robin like oh hey no it, it makes sense but it's also just like bruce's relationship with robins is already kind of weird if you it's, think about it in the world i want you to oh, look yeah. like my last boy toy right <laughs> you know? like it's just a little fetishistic in a way that kind of calls into question how weird batman is everything about hair dye in the short pants <laughs> yeah <laughs> You see, oh, you want shorts, forever. Tim? No, I want you in little undies, tight green <laughs> undies. No pants for you, child. <laughs> child soldier, no pants. But, but what is look like an elf? Is that? In, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I, I want, want you like to look. Uh, I, I want to feel you. like Santa in this cave. <laughs> you want my little elf? You come fight with me, elf. Fetch my reindeer, Alfred. <laughs> um, but but what is interesting here is that. Now, Justin, maybe you remember Under the Hood, the original Winnick run better than I do, but I think that the justification for Tim Drake, or sorry, Jason Todd coming back from the dead was that Superboy Prime punched through reality and in doing so kind of shifted everything a little bit. And Jason Todd like woke up in his grave. But in here, he says he comes back from a Lazarus pit. And... And I do think that Judd Winnick wrote a six-issue miniseries called Red Hood Lost Days. Yeah. It kind of covers that. And I remember not loving it as it was coming out because I wanted, like, this Morrison Red Hood story. But it, I wonder if, if it was retconned that he was brought back with a Lazarus pit or if they are still honoring the idea that Superboy Prime punching reality caused him to come back. In, from my memory, pre-Infinite Crisis, Jason Todd already came back. And you see him being revived in a Lazarus pit um, with Talia al Ghul. Um, And Infinite Crisis happened kind of towards the end of Red Hood. And they have that Superboy Prime redoing continuity. And that's how in that, that's like at the end of Infinite Crisis or a supplemental material. And then they retroactively said that that's how he got back in. 
And Talia al Ghul, they go and say that she was putting him in the Lazarus pit because he had some brain damage. Right, and I remember that because in those those Red Hood Lost Days issues were coming out when I was reading comics. And all the Infinite Crisis stuff was before I had read comics. So that's all just a big blind spot to me. Yeah, so they they kind of had uh, unaddressed in the Under the Red Hood his how he got back isn't exactly said, but you know that there's a Lazarus pit involved and right. Talia befriends him. But there wasn't much focus on his origin, and then that happened, and so... They're like, what about this Lazarus pit stuff? Because Bruce in that run is running around looking at Lazarus pits and they haven't found one that has been opened. Mm. So they were, there was a mystery there. And so how they you know, incorporated the Lazarus pit is they said, oh, well, actually he kind of woke up in a coffin and because he was in the coffins for so like long, brain, brain yeah. right. So there was, once again, editorial giving an origin that had already been implied. And so they had to collapse the two into one because i remember thinking like this is the fucking origin for the right because that was like my favorite run of all time you know the as a hood one yeah i was like obsessed with that run it's what got me into robbins you know there i just really loved that was like my verse in a way that is like kind of a departure from a lot of mainstream batman stories at that time for sure version to again the bag full of heads right and as like a eighth grader going in er, er, early into my freshman year no sorry, uh, high school. I was in eighth grade. Like that kind of edginess, I wanted a more adult story and that was closer to, you know. Um, and so I just loved it. And I like really hated the punching the wall of time, Superboy yeah. Prime. As I was like, why conflate the two? You know, like why have Superboy be the origin for this? You know, and I, when he shows up in Hush um, and they say that, you know, in that run, they say that was him. But in Hush, it says that it's Clayface. Right. And then he says that, like, they just, it was both. I liked that origin way better, that he's been around for a while. Right. You know. A thing worth mentioning is that Jason Todd is frustrated that he's wearing this red hood because it causes him to have acne. And I think that's just <laughs> kind of an interesting also thing to throw in there. Like, just and a weird bald. kind of interesting. Yeah, and he's going bald. <laughs> yeah, Batman, or sorry, Batman. Grant Morrison, you know, he he's on some beats that I don't always get, you know, like, his whole like Batman's super gay and super sexual yep. and uh, sadomasochistic. Like I can sometimes get it, but sometimes he touches on these, like he'll say thing about a, about a character that has literally never occurred to me. And then I try to like have those goggles on when I read it. And I'm like, I still don't know how you, how you got there, Grant. So yeah, I'm sure this like balding acne thing makes sense in some meta theme or something, but to me. Oh, okay. So let's, okay. Okay. You just made me think of something. So Batman, by having Robins, kind of puts them in this weird stasis period where they're continually growing up, but they're also continually, like, encouraged to stay young. So on the one hand... Peter Pan syndrome. Yeah, he's, like, encouraging people to dye their hair black to look like this child, but then also he's putting them through these things that age them, like their hair is graying or they're wearing this mask or they're they're getting acne, which is a sign of youth, but it has it's a, a weird strange aberrant side product of like trying to remain youthful while growing old like right. it, it almost kind of seems like it could be construed as like talking about the strain that being a batman sidekick of robin kind of has on the, the psyche of a person it's almost like jason todd is now only in adolescence because he was frozen stuck as kid robin for so long so he's getting his high school acne as a 20 something year old kid because he was Peter Pan, you know, stay that child, be that yeah, Alfred. You're my Alfred. 
resentful of Batman for sort of feeling like he was forced to be encased in Amber for longer than he was supposed to be. Do you think that that, like, could be that Bruce Wayne, like, is trying to save, keep a part of his child self alive and frozen? Yeah, like, in that pre-murder moment that Bruce Wayne can always be a kid by keeping Robin always a kid. Like, he's saving his child self every time he tries to make Robin this lighthearted, perfect little Peter Pan boy. I've never thought about that, but as soon as you started saying it, I was like, oh, yeah, th- I, I, I could follow you down that trail immediately because, yeah, there's, you know, maybe it is something to do with, and this is the kind of thing that I, you know, I, I could imagine Grant Morrison thinking about, which is what if it is an expiration of this strange fat sanity of, like, I didn't get to have a childhood and I always have these kids adopted around me, but he is almost almost in that selfish way of saying, like, I want you to be a kid so I always have a reminder that I'm a kid. It's... And it is, just like we were saying five or six minutes ago, it's that weird fetishistic thing that happens with Batman. It, it casts Batman in a strange light. And I think Justin and I are people who are like, oh, I don't want my Batman cast in that weird light. But I think Morrison has this kind of peace with being like, yeah, he's kind of a weird psychosexual social thing that's happened. And, <laughs> and he explores those things in a way that seems non-judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like when you're a traumatized person, and you're going through like these intense cycles of wounds, like you're, you're, I don't know, when you're traumatized, normal morality, it's, you know, can you say that someone with PTSD who shoots up a mall is necessarily as morally as bad as someone else because they're having all they know is war, right? All they know is like being in a state of conflict. So um, yeah, I, I always read Batman from a lens of like trauma response. This this immediate minute-long conversation we've had kind of makes me feel like, wow, I've never actually looked at Batman from, from that lens of trauma response, which is, I didn't have a childhood. People always say Batman functioned better when he had a Robin. What if, that, what if Morrison is exploring this idea that you're functioning better as a Robin because you never had a childhood that was healthy? Mm-hmm. So by having a healthy Robin child with you, you're actually kind of completing your own psyche as an adult who is now an adult and you were a young child, but you never had this adolescence. So maybe that is actually the reason that a Robin bounces him because it actually completes a portion of his psyche that is otherwise broken. Right. And I think like in, in the last volume, they say that Batman works better because Robin adds a lightheartedness that Batman mm-hmm. can't generate on, on his own. He's only this darkness and pain. But I think that's also on a psychological level, like Batman right. literally can't, psychologically function he doesn't, if he doesn't have that yeah he can't ex- he like literally can't regulate his emotions without like going to the initial like war on crime fight so you know he says i'm a soldier right like the only thing he knows is like waging warfare on pain and so robin allows him to have some kind of it's a really fucked up strange kind of joy but it allows by like having this and you know i i think that there is a reason why robin is dressed like peter pan in a lot right. of ways like he's got the fairy wings and the leotard but no I, he, he's stuck he's frozen in childhood that seems like really salient after today's conversation um i'm i'm shocked i'm very excited because this issue has some cool stuff in it but i it actually this conversation has allowed me to have a, a stranger larger opinion about some psychological an- analysis of batman roman what do you think about all that i agree with all that and then when you <clears throat> contrast that with uh Sasha and the Red Hood, Scarlet and the Red Hood, you know, she killed her father, Red Hood, his 
I don't even know what Jason Todd's was he an, he was an orphan or I think or something. His dad was like a crummy uh like henchman to Two Face from from what I remember. Okay, so his like dad he's was like his a biological dude. dad's a crummy henchman. His foster dad, Batman, you know, <laughs> failed to save him. Yeah, <laughs> after this hard dis- being a hard disciplinarian in, in Jason Todd's eyes, weaponizing him. Yeah, yeah. Wow, there's all sorts of interesting contrast in there. Also, it would be really interesting for someone. I don't know. I think Morrison would probably be the best to do it, but to somehow explore the psyche of Jason Todd with this not only having died, but if you could somehow combine the real life experience of like, Jason, everyone voted to kill you. Like no one (laughs) liked you. We all wanted you dead. And that's why you died is because the world didn't like you enough. Like that's a really interesting damaged middle child syndrome to have. I mean, that's why I'm deeply resonant, not resonant. I have a deep sympathy for Jason Todd, because A, like the readers, the meta the meta narrative is no one liked him. B, the comics have to reflect that. So as a character, like he gets he gets done dirty, he gets killed, he gets turned into a villain. Like this poor dude has never had a chance to succeed. And so when sometimes people say who your favorite Robin is, is I conflate the two because Dick Grayson seems incredibly privileged compared to jason todd who's in the same situation but only the universe shits on him and kills him you know no one likes him i would be fucking angry too yeah you know even his introduction as someone who was stealing the wheels off the batmobile he was a poor kid like he was he was gonna sell the wheels so he could eat he didn't even have the upbringing in the circus that tim you're sorry that dick did you know and tim's parents were intact when he ultimately cracked the code it was after that that they died like it yeah it really is um he is a very sympathetic character i guess i I confuse the definitions of sympathy and empathy sometimes but he is a very sad character and i think a compassionate lens i like him being a villain because it really justified like he's a damaged person of circumstance and we are all also to blame for that. Right. And, you know, I think he functions as a really good villain because yeah, there's an empathetic angle there too. Like you can understand like his conclusions he draws is like super psychotic to someone who's not there, you know, like, Oh, I want to destroy all crime and better Batman because he failed me and I'll never let me get someone like me be failed by him again. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to remove crime from the, from the playing table. Like, if I kill crime, this won't happen to me or my child self. In the same way, he's doing the same thing that Bruce did. He's even a more child of violence. Like, those seem like really crazy from our atomized, like, I'm an individual. I know who I am. My circumstances don't influence me. But, like, could you say if that happened to you that you'd be any different than him? Right. And when Jason Todd in Under the Red Hood explains his kind of whole ethos to Batman, I'm like, in a really astonishingly freaky way it makes kind of sense if you were killed and then revived because time forgot you and felt bad and like sympathetically spit you back into the universe wouldn't you have a grudge yeah so yeah he's a he makes a great he's a he's a villain that you can understand in the way that you can't understand the joker or dr right, or right, someone like right this is yeah no yeah. that's a that's awesome i um I'm so pumped on the the direction that this episode has taken uh, because really all we have left to cover in the issue is that there is a plane, a giant pink airplane filled Roman's with, apartment. 
faith, faceless <laughs> escorts who have been hired, who have then been murdered in Roman's apartment. <laughs> and they all are the missing their faces. And there is a plate, there's a flashback shot of a dude with pink hair. I also noticed they're on to the right of the plate is a piece of paper filled with drugs. It looks like he's been drugging people and then cutting off of their faces and eating them in this horrible crime scene. Pretty disgusting, but it is the introduction of the flamingo. Ultimately that airplane is discovered by Gordon because it has landed in Gotham. And this issue ends with the red hood and Scarlet doing a thing, but he gets shot off camera by a big light. And as we turn the page, it is the flamingo on a motorcycle with a whip and a gun. He has just shot the Red Hood in the helmet. Let's take a second to talk about that before we talk about the cover of the next issue, which is essentially a better version of the final panel of this issue. Oh yeah. Can I just mention Please. just a quick little little backtrack when uh, <clears throat> Batman and Robin confront uh, Red Hood and Scarlet, there's one panel in in that when Robin jumps the gun and Batman's like, Robin, don't. Right. Um, there's the middle panel where Red Hood just quickly grabs Robin and slams him into the That is a floor. great, that's one of my other favorite sequences in this issue. Yeah, and that middle panel, man, that sure looks like a quietly panel. <laughs> oh? Yeah, it's very, I mean, I mean, look at their, look at Robin's face and his body and just the way the action flows. Yeah, I think between the action flowing and then also there's a strangely thin ink line present yeah. in all of that. I think Philip yeah. Tan has been doing a lot of shadows and in that particular panel, I agree, there's there's not shadows. And bit. it is interesting how the, the Robin's cape and arm and the floorboard all break the, the gutter between the panels. But I also really yeah. like that sequence because the only thing that Jason says is, is it is Damien saying enough and he goes to take out Jason. And over two panels, Jason just says, you need to listen. And in doing so, he grabs him by the neck and throws him down. And it's just that, like, no matter what assassin training you've gotten or what, you've got to learn to listen. And that's what the previous arc in the with, with Dick and the, the Carnival of Chaos and whatnot, like Circus of Strange, rather, um, he didn't listen. And in this issue, we don't get shaming. We don't get being told, Damon, you're wrong. You did this fucking poorly but like through his own ability to act and then learn the consequence of his action he's learning that he needs to listen and i think that is a really deft way to teach a lesson rather than having the the informed person talk down to the person who doesn't know something you know right yeah yeah and it's that's like part of the robin programming too like jason todd needed to listen yep Dick grayson listened like he is saying that from robin to robin not from Red Hood, the murderous yeah, guy, but yeah, like yeah. he's saying it like a big brother would say to it. Like, he's like, this fucking kid is disgracing the role of Robin. He's not listening. Look what happened to me, you fuck. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't listen and I got killed. So he's like doing that to protect Robin. It, there's this still, like, he's still trained as a Robin. He's programmed in a way. God, um, that, was, that was really wow. well said, Justin. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's... There's one last thing I wanted Please. to bring up. Um, with the flamingo showing up and he's like, you know, this like faced eating weirdo. Jesus. Yeah. And El Penitente. He's you know, Roman gone wrong. Right. <laughs> is talking about like this new breed of bad guys. Professor Pig is like this disgusting, weird psychosexual thing that just wants to hurt. 
I think we're seeing like, because this is a bold new era for Batman, um, there's a really big like theme of acceleration. Like when Batman gets sucked out of the world, what comes through, mm-hmm. you know, you get a new type of, you know, Jason Todd's like, I'm Batman, but I kill people. I think we're seeing like a new set of villains that like where it was the Scarecrow and the Riddler and to some extent Joker broke the mold as the worst one, but he was the one. There were all plans, games, tricks, themes to their violence. And they're, they're all proving a point. You know, Scarecrow wants to teach people about fear and, ex, you know, expose them to his fear. Riddler wants people to know that he's this ultimate kind of genius. He, you know, he's ultimately like a cerebral narcissist. There's this like theme and a style. And these people are just like brash violence. There isn't as much as a theme. Like, you know, what is Flamingo's ultimate thing? He just likes to kill and eat people. I just he's like faces. Of, yeah, he's like this senseless monster. Pig has got a lot of depth, but he's ultimately, there's like this acceleration of violence and disgust. And I think that mirrors kind of, you know, a new Batman. And Dick has to be kind of kinder in that way. Like, you know, a new Batman needs to evolve in a way. And Dick's response is to be a little more empathetic, to teach Robin, to listen. But we're seeing an acceleration of villains as well. Like I noticed each one of these villains isn't quite as jokey, gaggy, or about a master plan. They ultimately are just kind of a type of violence. And even the greatest master plan is like, let's make these people more angry and violent. With so as you were describing that, and I, I don't have a salient verbal metaphor for it, but as I keep thinking of it, I'm picturing like, like, a, like a safe vessel underwater deep underwater like a submarine or something traveling and that's like what life has been like with batman with windows looking out of this thing but as soon as batman is gone and you shatter the windows of this safe vessel underneath water an aggressive immediate act of water rushing in to fill that void happens immediately and there is no style style to it or substance to it it is just that as soon as space is created surrounded by you know pressure it's immediately filled you know you saying that reminded me like yeah it's not there's not like stylized jokes it's not like routines or gags or deep character persona that's grown from this absence like right now we're dealing with the immediate flush effect of a void has been created and things are filling it and all these villains are coming from other places. Yeah, that's they're coming from other places. And their most immediate thing is just violence like and, and physical aggression. There has been a void, and now we can do this. We don't need, like, Joker and Riddler exist because there is a challenge. I want to outsmart this thing, so I'm going to try and be chaos, or I'll try and be the riddle that he cannot solve. Right now, there's not even that. So it's like as soon as, you know, the safety of this thing underwater is broken... I guess I think a lot about the scary, how it would, scary it would be to drown underwater is why that is the visual <laughs> metaphor that came to me. But no, like, I love it. Right. Like, yes, the gags and the murderous jokes and all those things are really bad, but Batman kept a type of evil at bay. And when you take him out, you're going to get another new type of evil. And like, as we come to meet the flamingo, he, the, he's like a creature. He's hardly human at all. Yeah. Like he's just kind of the, kind of like how a shark is. He's just perfectly evolved to kill. And that's what the Flamingo kind of is, is just like this engine of violence. And it's just curious to think about like with Morrison's themes of evolution of Batman and change and identity. It's like, well, these villains also are kind of a different category. They're all these weird things from outside of Gotham coming to Gotham to wreak just kind of senseless violence. And again, that feels, feels back to that, like the, the Flamingo eats faces. He eats right. 
identity and Dick Grayson is trying to form a new identity by being Batman. And here is this thing that devours persona. And I think, right. I can't wait to see what happens in the, the next issue. Cause I haven't read it yet. And I, you know, I tried to see if that metaphor seems to come to fruition. Yeah. In so many ways, Flamingo has no identity either. Right. And it hasn't really been explored as a character since then. So, but we get uh, the final thing here and it says, and death comes to Gotham. And we get the Philip Tan image of Flamingo on his pink motorcycle in the shadows. What I really want to talk about is the cover of the following issue, which is staring at me in my paperback as I, well, the absolute edition. Um, as me too. The, the but before, before we do yeah. that, that first full panel Flamingo, I love how that's kind of a combination of the cover of that Prince, you know, the famous shot of Prince on his motorcycle, his purple, purple motorcycle. Um, but it's also seems to be kind of Prince on that shot combined with the Terminator because of the gun and oh yeah, all that. And I think there was a picture of the Terminator. Doesn't he ride in on yeah? There's a on a motorcycle and with a gun and eighties <laughs> references. I won't. I'll just put this in the back of this book. It says the cover for cover issue number six, which is Friday's issue. So we're stealing content from Friday. But we'll explore it more. But it says cover six was based on the Prince album, Purple Rain. Why? Well, you can check my notes on the Flamingo's design, which we'll explore next time. Although you may be none the wiser after reading, reading them. This may well be the first pink Batman cover ever. And it is likely to be the last one you will ever see, he says. Um, <laughs> but I think that's a really interesting. He overtly was going for Prince. And I'm excited to explore the metaphors of Prince and why he would have chosen Prince and Purple Rain as, as, as things to be. in this following issue, as we hang out with a dude who eats faces, we came to the end of this. And we had a conversation that at the beginning of this, I didn't know what was going to come out because it didn't seem like there was a lot there. Something rushed having... to fill the space. Exactly. And when you let that space get filled by a bunch of buddies who really like talking to each other, you get something that you never would have been able to predict. So Roman and Justin, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. If anyone listening wants to have a conversation with us about what they think is going on, thoughts on Jason Todd, did you call to vote for his death? Yes or no? Why or why not? Give us some feedback. You can write us an email at batmanandquarantine at gmail.com, or you could just record a voice memo on your phone and email that as an attachment through that email. We would love to hear it. We truly would. Um, so don't ever hesitate to do that. And uh, yeah, what else do you guys boys got before we get out of here? Oh, I'm just going to have some faces for lunch. Oh, bud, you and your sourdough face sandwich. <laughs> going to have some face stew. Oh, buds. Oh, buds. <laughs> you know, um, I figured I'd try it. Yeah. I have issues with my identity. Maybe if I eat identities, I'll finally get one. Morrison yeah. always makes me want to snack on a face after. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, guys, I love you. Thank you, everyone listening, for making it 30 issues into us. Um, 31. Is this 31? Last was 30. This is 31? Mm -hmm. Good Lord. Wow. Good Lord. Episode 31. Just accelerating in age. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing everybody on Friday. We'll finally put a pin in this pink flamingo mystery on behalf of Roman and Justin. This is Batman in Quarantine, and I am Jeff. We'll see you all very, very soon.